Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Please turn your Bibles to the first chapter of the book of Ruth. The first chapter of the book of Ruth. Uh, This is going to be another book sermon. So uh, we'll be covering it rather briefly, but I hopefully... um, well enough for you to understand the message of this book that God gave to his people so long ago. Hear now this reading from God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Now it came to pass in those days when the judges ruled, and there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judea, or Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return to the country, returned from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will, why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, If I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law But Ruth clung to her. 
And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord brought me back brought and it brought me back home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And when they came to Bethlehem, and now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we give you thanks that you have given us your holy word. We understand that we should put great value upon your holy word, even as was explained so wonderfully this morning in the Sunday school lesson. We ask, Father, that we would realize what a precious gift you have given to us by giving to us your inscripturated holy word. We ask, Father, that you would abundantly bless the proclamation of your word here at this time. That you would Grant, by the power of your Spirit, a true sermon. For, Father, we acknowledge we need more than just information. We've already confessed that we are sinners, and therefore we acknowledge we need transformation. Ask, Father, that you would not only work through the preacher by your Spirit, that you would work in those who hear this proclamation. May this truly be a time of your power. We pray this in faith and in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. One of the darkest periods of Israel's history was the time of the judges. It was characterized as a time in which Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And I can assure you what they thought was right was not right. But it was during this time 
that a remarkable change of chain of events took place in the life of a Gentile woman named Ruth. Her story demonstrates that the Lord providentially rewards sacrificial love. Let me say that again. The book of Ruth demonstrates that the Lord providentially rewards sacrificial love. This morning we're going to consider, first of all, Ruth's pledge in chapter 1, Ruth's patron in chapter 2, her proposal in chapter 3, and her posterity in chapter 4. You may not know this, but the Hebrew Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, is not arranged like our English versions. The order of the books are different. It's very significant that in the Hebrew Old Testament, the book of Ruth actually comes immediately after the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs, and as probably most of you, if not all of you know, ends with a description of the virtuous woman. A very fitting introduction to the book of Ruth. It's rather interesting that in the book of Proverbs, it begins with that section, Who can find a virtuous wife? And what's very interesting is if you look at chapter 3 and verse 11 of the book of Ruth. At the end of that verse, verse 11, this is what Boaz says to Ruth. For all the people of my town know you are a virtuous woman. And the same word is translated virtuous there in the book of he- uh, in the book of Proverbs. It's the same word that we find translated here, virtuous. The first thing we're going to look at is Ruth's pledge. And that's found there in verses 16 and 17. Hear this again. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death (laughs) separates you and me. This pledge was made in recognition of her bleak prospects, especially in the matter of marriage. Now, marriage to a Moabite woman was not forbidden. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, we find a list of nations that Israelite men were forbidden to marry. And Moab is not listed among them. However, in Deuteronomy 23 and verse 3, we find that Moabites were not allowed into the assembly of the Lord. That means the assembly of God the people in their worship together. That means that Ruth was actually excluded from 
public worship. But she wasn't excluded from private or family worship. Now, since Ruth was a Gentile, particularly a Moabitess, she was actually an unlikely candidate for marriage to an Israelite man. You may recall, as we read here earlier in the chapter, that Naomi had instructed Ruth and Orpah to return to their mother's homes. Naomi regarded the marriage of an Israelite man to a Moabite to be highly unlikely. And that's why in verses 11 through 13, she indicates to her daughters-in-law that the only way, if they were to return with her back to Judah, the only way that they could expect to remarry would be if she had two more sons, they waited for them to grow up and marry them. This is what was known as the Levite marriage, where if an elder brother died, the younger one was to marry the brother's wife and raise up seed or children in the name of that deceased brother. So, again, very unlikely, humanly speaking, and from Naomi's perspective, that her daughters-in-law, if they were to go back with her, would be able to remarry. One of the things that's very interesting about this book is the number of times that Ruth is described as Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. Look there in, just in chapter 2, verse 1, actually verse 2. So Ruth the Moabitess. She's described as the Moabitess six times in that book. And one of the things that's very significant, when we go to chapter 4, I'm assuming you know the basic story. We come to chapter 4 and verse 5. Boaz refers to Ruth, the Moabitess, when he speaks to the nearer kinsman about his prospect of marrying Ruth. And I, I'm convinced that Ruth... <coughs> was described by Boaz as the Moabitess as a means of discouraging that nearer kinsman from marrying someone I believe he was intensely in love with already. So again, there was this pledge that Ruth made to Naomi, even though she recognized the prospect of remarrying, if she were to go back with Naomi, was, humanly speaking, extremely unlikely. But it was also made in recognition of Naomi's poverty. Now, notice in verse 12, she says to her daughters-in-law, I am too old to have a husband. Here was a woman It was probably even too old to even pro- properly take care of herself. Notice also in verse 13, 
where Naomi acknowledges that the hand of the Lord had gone out against her. And in then verse 21, Naomi says that she returned empty. Again, expressing her extreme poverty, even as she's going back into her home country, back to Bethlehem. Well, Naomi considered herself to be going back empty, but that's not exactly accurate, is it? Because she had the Lord. She also had Ruth. So she wasn't actually going back empty. But we do recognize Naomi at this point would have been considered very, very poor. The other thing that's important to recognize is that Ruth made this pledge to Naomi in response to Naomi's three entreaties for her daughters-in-law to go back home. She pled with those daughters-in-law three times. I won't read those. I won't. We don't need to count them. But I want you to understand something as one of the great themes of this book is sacrificial love. Naomi is actually demonstrating sacrificial love as she is telling her daughters-in-law not to go back home with her, but actually return to their previous homes. You see, Naomi desired what she considered to be best for her daughters-in-law, even to the detriment of herself. But there's a problem here. Naomi was only really thinking about their physical needs. We would have to, I think, understand that at this point, Naomi was not at a high level of spirituality. But nevertheless... She did demonstrate sacrificial love. You notice that in verse 15, Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. The advantage of both of those daughters-in-law returning with Ruth, I mean, with Naomi to Bethlehem, to Israel, was that, as we heard in the Sunday school lesson, both of those Gentile women would have placed themselves under the oracles of God. And it was also pointed out, those without the oracles of God, those without the revelation of God like the Jews had, <coughs> Those pagans worshipped false gods. Now really, if you think about it, Ruth should have had a more noble desire for Orpah. Return with me and learn more and more about Jehovah. But again, the point here is that Ruth made this Pledge to Naomi, even though Naomi had said three times, don't come back with me. But it was also made in recognition of the Lord's providence. Look at verse 17. When he, she says, where you die, 
I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more, if anything but death parts you and me. This, what we find here in verse 17, where she says, The Lord do so to me, and more also, that's a Hebrew oath, oath formula. In essence, what Ruth is saying, may the Lord do something very terrible to me if I don't keep this pledge. She is one who recognizes who's in control. Jehovah is the one who is control of everything. The providence of God is seen throughout the book of Ruth. And especially in the first chapter, verse 6. Talks about how the Lord had visited his people with bread. Naomi talks about to, to them, to the daughters-in-law, middle of verse 8, the Lord deal kindly with you. There's again a recognition that the Lord is in control. She acknowledged that the hand of the Lord had gone out against her. This is what the providence of God is about, recognizing who is indeed in control. And I have to admit this, even when you get that annoying sales call and you're tempted to just, you need to recognize that's in the Lord's control. Now that's just a side comment, okay? No extra charge for that. And as I said, that oath formula, if anything but death parts you and me, then may the Lord deal with me severely. What a pledge. But it also is important that we recognize that that Ruth made this pledge because Jehovah had become her God. Notice what we read at the end of verse 16. Your God will be my God. That's her testimony. But what is very significant is what she says in verse 17. Listen to these words again. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. What is she saying to Naomi? She's saying, I'm going back to take care of you, but once you're gone, I'm going to go back to Moab and my gods. Is No. Uh. This is not some temporary religion that she was embarking on. And it needs to be understood that these words, this pledge, first of all, does demonstrate that Ruth was absolutely committed to caring for her mother-in-law, Naomi. It was Ruth's love for Naomi that motivated her to go back and care for her mother-in-law. I want you to look in chapter 4 and verse 15. Listen to these words. 
May he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons. There is this recognition that what was the driving force behind Naomi, I mean, behind Ruth's desire to go back with Naomi was her love for Naomi. But also these words demonstrate Ruth's commitment to Jehovah. Now, if Ruth had been an unbeliever, then she would have returned to Moab and to her gods after Naomi had died. When she says, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. She is making it abundantly clear. She's not only committed to Naomi, she is committed to Jehovah. That means that after Naomi's death, she would continue to be a worshiper of the God of Israel. We come to chapter 2, having looked at Ruth's pledge. We come to chapter 2, and we learn about Ruth's patron. Now, this patron, who you already know is Boaz, he was the result of Ruth's provision for Naomi. It's very important that we understand this. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So again, there is this awareness that this provision that she is making for Naomi, and of course for herself, that's how she comes in contact with Boaz. Notice also, this is in verse 11, that Ruth's provision for Naomi is expressed in Boaz's words in verse 11 of chapter 2. Listen to these words. And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. Very significant here. So indeed, it was in the process of thinking about Naomi rather than herself that she comes in contact with with Boaz. And this also was in the Lord's providence, of course. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it's very important to notice this detail. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth. A man of great wealth. You might think, well, why did the narrator of the book of Ruth add that little comment? Very important. Because, you see, you come to the end of the book and you realize Boaz had to be wealthy enough to buy 
back the land that Naomi had sold, which then included Mary and Ruth. So it's very important. This is one little detail. Very significant. And in the Lord's providence, this is how it worked out. Now, it's rather interesting that in verse 3, it says, Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. She happened to come. You have a King James Version with you. It says her hap was to lie. Uh, I don't know the last time your hap was to lie somewhere, but... It happens. It just means that something happened. And I like the way Matthew Poole put it. He correctly points out that, I'm quoting, it was indeed a chance in reference to second causes, but ordered and designed by God's providence. Amen? I think it's also very significant. We come to verse 12 of chapter 2. Boaz offered a prayer for Ruth. Listen to these words. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. He's praying that the Lord would repay Ruth taking care, sacrificially taking care of her mother-in-law. And he says, and a full reward be given you. Well, we know from the end of the book that indeed the Lord did answer that prayer. And at that time, you think Boaz had any idea he'd be part of that reward? Probably not. In fact, the shock of Ruth proposing marriage to him kind of indicates he had no hint of that. But when we come to chapter 3, this is where we find Ruth proposing marriage to Boaz. So we're looking at Ruth's proposal here. Now, the first five verses of chapter 3 is where Naomi gives Ruth the instructions on what she needs to do to propose marriage to Boaz. And one of the things that I think is very important to notice that this proposal and the acceptance of this proposal was undoubtedly the result of Ruth's noble character. Look at what Boaz says to Ruth in verse (coughs) 10. This is after she has actually proposed marriage to him according to the Jewish custom of the day. He says to her, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and in that you did not excuse me, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And then I'll just keep going. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you have requested for all my people, yet for all of the people of my town. No, you are a virtuous woman. 
So Boaz is responding to Ruth in recognition of the kind of woman that she is. I believe that what we see happening here is that the Spirit of Christ in Ruth was drawn to the Spirit of Christ in Boaz. Also, this proposal was indeed all in the Lord's We come to chapter 4, where we see Ruth's posterity. We need to understand how indeed the Lord throughout this book demonstrates he is absolutely in control. I've heard some say that the message of the book is that God is interested even in the small details of our lives. I believe that's true. I believe that the book does demonstrate that. But I think it's missing the overall picture if it's just limited to that. Notice verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. The Lord gave her conception and bore a son. Who gave the conception? It was Jehovah. Yes, this this little baby was all the result of the Lord's providence. But it was also others recognized this. Look at verse 14. Then the women, women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. May his name be famous in Israel. I should point out that there are some who believe that the close relative there in verse 14 is a reference to Boaz. But if you follow the logic of the text, you realize that those women are talking about little Obed. Notice how it goes on. May he, I believe that's not Boaz, but Obed, may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. That settles the issue, doesn't it? I think it's pretty clear. But this is a reference to Obed. Here's what we see. We understand something very significant, and that's this. A little genealogy at the end of the book shows that Obed is King David's grandfather. Which means what? it means we see a lineage to the Messiah himself. Think about that. This book does point us to Jesus Christ, as really every book in the Bible does. 
What this book demonstrates, as we look at Naomi, Boaz, and especially Ruth, we can see how this sacrificial love that we see manifested in this people. Let me mention Boaz now. Boaz knew that if he married Ruth, he was going to be expected to raise up seed to her deceased husband. That was the reason why the nearer kinsman didn't want to touch this. I don't want to jeopardize my inheritance. Boaz was willing to sacrifice his inheritance because of his love for Ruth. Guess what? Whose name occurs in the genealogy? Not Malon. Boaz. I would invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Because I want you to see how abundantly Christ demonstrates the same kind of sacrificial love that particularly Ruth demonstrated. Listen to these words. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That cross, which is the great demonstration of our Savior's love for us, His sacrificial love for us. And then here comes the rest of it. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So who is the greatest example of self-sacrificing love that was so greatly rewarded? The Lord Jesus himself. Every time you read the book, think about that. When Naomi decided to return to Judah... Her two daughters-in-law started to return with her. But Naomi insisted that they stay in their own country and explained that they could not expect to be remarried if they returned with her. Orpah took Naomi's advice, but Ruth refused. Ruth's response to Naomi indicated that she was indeed a true believer. She loved her mother-in-law. She knew that Naomi was an elderly lady who would have difficulty taking care of herself. When they returned, Ruth immediately began providing for them by gleaning in the field, in a field. Again, Ruth here is exhibiting the Spirit of Christ. 
her willingness to sacrifice her own interests for the needs of her mother-in-law. In the Lord's providence, it turned out that the field where she went was owned by a near kinsman of Naomi named Boaz. And as the story progresses, we learn that Ruth marries Boaz. And not only that, but the Lord gave them a child. And not only that, gave them a son. And not only that, the son is in the ancestral line of the Messiah himself. Christ is the supreme example who loved sacrificially and was so greatly rewarded. Ruth had no idea when she thought of Naomi more than herself that the Lord would so richly bless her. May the Lord, here's the application. May the Lord, by His grace, enable you to love like Ruth, who loved like Christ. Ruth was more interested in being a blessing than being blessed. Maybe some of you have already been called upon to sacrificially demonstrate love for another. Might be an elderly parent might be an elderly spouse. It might be having to make all kinds of sacrifices for others. And understand this. The Lord will reward you for that. you believe that? you believe that the Lord will reward you for your sacrificial love for another? This is an encouragement for us all not just to love like Ruth. As I said, yes, love like Ruth is because of how she loved like Jesus. We need to love like Jesus. <coughs> Several years ago, there was a severe storm off the coast of Scotland. And out in the angry waters, a ship was ripped to pieces. A lifeboat was sent out into what seemed to be almost certain disaster. But it returned with all of the ship's crew except for one man. And as they came to the shore, the leader of the boat cried out, There's another man! We need volunteers for his rescue. These men are exhausted. Well, among those who stepped forward to volunteer was a young man by the name of John. His white-haired mother came up to him and putting her arms around his neck, begged him not to go. She reminded him that his father had perished in a storm at sea And she also reminded him that his brother William had gone to sea the year before and had not returned and that she suspected that William 
John's brother William had also perished at sea. So she begged John not to go because he was all that she had left. John took her arms from around his neck and explained to her that a man was in peril and he had to go. He assured her that the Lord would take care of them. He gave his mother a kiss and jumped into the lifeboat. The fury of the storm was increasing. The people waited on shore for an entire out for an entire hour till finally there was a dim outline that could be seen. The rescuers were seen fighting their way back to shore. And someone on the shore shouted out, Have you found the man? And John was standing at the bow of the boat and he shouted back. Yes, we've saved him. Tell my dear mother it's Brother William. Even though we should not help others for what we might get out of it, nevertheless, Christ may bless you in a way that is overwhelming, even to the praise of the glory of His grace. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful book. It does teach us about your great providence. But Lord, it does teach us beyond that that you do reward sacrificial love. We do understand that the greatest example is none other than the Lord Jesus himself. How we are thankful that he loved us so much. He was willing to sacrifice himself in our place. And now he is highly exalted, seated at your right hand. And from that exalted position, he pours out his blessings upon us, his people. How we thank you that such a redeemer is ours. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.